Hello and welcome to the Daily Texan Newscast. I'm Zeke Fritz. And I'm Morgan Keeler. It's Friday, October 13th, and here's what's been happening on and around campus. A 30-year tradition came to a halt this week as the Texas X's called off the annual torchlight parade portion of Wednesday's Texas Fight Rally following the mid-August violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. The Texas X's, the UT Alumni Association, which organizes the event, decided the procession of torches this year would recall the night white nationalists armed with similar torches marched through the UVA campus to protest the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. That weekend, one woman was killed when a car drove through a group of counter-protesters and two Virginia State Police troopers died in a helicopter crash while assisting public safety efforts. In light of the tragic events in Charlottesville, we will not be doing a torchlight parade, Texas X's said in a statement published Monday. This night has always been a positive experience for the UT community, and it is paramount to us that everyone feels welcome, safe, and a part of the Longhorn family. As UVA grieves in the aftermath of the deadly event, UT Student Body Vice President Mickey Wolf said the image of the torchlight parade, although unrelated to the events in Charlottesville, is unwelcome on the UT campus. Right now in 2017, torches and masses of people walking around college campuses is very much an iconography that is associated with white supremacy, and that is something we would never want to be mistaken as being supported by this university, Wolf said. The Texas Fight Rally has been an annual event on campus since 1916. KXAN reported that the organization will revisit whether to reinstate the torchlight parade at a later date, but it cannot be concluded yet whether the tradition is over for good. The rest of the rally will continue as planned with a small procession of student groups, a performance by the Longhorn Band, and remarks from speakers such as UT football coach Tom Herman. Social work junior Carmine Lee said she supports the cancellation of the parade. She said safety should be a primary concern in the wake of recent violent attacks in the country, such as what happened in Charlottesville on last weekend's Las Vegas shooting. Wolf, a Plan 2 and Business Honors senior, said student government stands behind the Texas X's decision to cancel the parade. Despite recent rainfall, sprinklers near Speedway continue to water plants and walkways at night, contrary to the water conservation efforts by the university. The university has not yet been given control of the sprinklers near the construction sites on Speedway, said Marcus Hogue, Irrigation and Water Conservation Program Coordinator. As a result, UT is currently unable to adjust irrigation to rainfall or drought as it does in other areas of campus not under construction. There are sections that are still underneath the contractor working on an area, Hogue said. They haven't turned it over to us to maintain. When we take ownership of it, we put it underneath the umbrella of our system that starts monitoring and watching what's going on. Last spring, UT won a Texas Environmental Excellence Award for modernizing its irrigation system, decreasing university water usage by 66% over the last six years. Once construction ends on Speedway, projected for spring 2018, UT is expected to get control of that area and incorporate it into the irrigation system, Hogue said. Psychology junior Natalia Doria said that she has noticed numerous construction sites on campus, such as renovations of Rowling Hall and Welch Hall, have the potential to get in the way of conservation efforts. There are a lot of locations that are being constructed, Doria said. It makes sense that construction would tamper with irrigation. Patrick Mazor a technical staff associate for the Energy and Water Conservation Program, said his group examines water usage on campus in conjunction with utilities and energy management by comparing the consumption of water in individual buildings across months. 
If the change in value is outside of a threshold, I'll flag it, Mazur said. The point is, we're trying to identify if there's some higher usage than normal. If so, then we go to a building and try to figure out what's causing that. Who said that the university continues to make adjustments for environmental changes? But one factor is a bit harder to adjust to. We're working with the squirrels. They tend to do a lot of damage, Hogue said. They chew on my irrigation all the time. Last week's Nobel Prize in Physics awarded for the detection of gravitational waves may look gold, but it has burnt orange roots. A slew of UT scientists, professors, and alumni have been contributing to the study of gravitational waves for the better part of a century. Many of them made discoveries leading directly to the detection of said waves in 2015 that earned the Nobel Prize in Physics last week. The prize was given to scientists at the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO, which detected slight ripples in the fabric of space-time caused by the merging of two black holes over one billion years ago. This discovery proved Albert Einstein's century-old theory of general relativity correct and sent shockwaves to the scientific community. Though Rainer Weiss, Barry Bishop, and Kip Thorne are the prize winners of this prestigious award, astronomy professor Craig Wheeler said a village of contributors from UT helped to build the base for the discovery. For a time, Texas was the center for people who worked on Einstein's theory, and experts from all over the world came here to visit, Wheeler said. Texas was actually famous for its work, its people, its centers. Before black holes were even proven to exist, former UT physics professor John Wheeler studied the mysterious objects in the 1960s and 70s. He coined the term black hole and taught Kip Thorne, one of the recipients of the prize, at Princeton University before joining UT in 1976. Around that same time, physics professor Bryce DeWitt led the movement to use supercomputers to solve Einstein's equations, an effort that fast-tracked research on black hole collisions, said Larry Smarr, one of DeWitt's doctorate students in 1975. Professor Bryce DeWitt challenged me to develop mathematical and computational methods so that we could map the full nonlinear Einstein equations of general relativity, Smarr said in an email. Smarr used the very same supercomputers to predict that merging of black holes would admit gravitational waves, which was proven true in last year's discovery by LIGO. UT scientists have made breakthroughs in recent years as well. As a doctorate student in 2011, J.J. Hermes worked with astronomy professor Don Wingett to detect indirect proof of gravitational waves coming from two spiraling white dwarf stars. It was the first time gravitational waves had ever been detected with visible light. Though Hermes graduated in 2013 after serving as an editor for the Daily Texan from 2006 to 2007 and now works as a Hubble Fellow at the University of North Carolina, he regularly monitors the two stars today and said studying rotating systems like that is the future of gravitational wave detection. Those white dwarf systems, they're constantly emitting gravitational waves, and they will be doing that for millions of years, Hermes said. UT physics professor Richard Matzner worked at LIGO for five years and helped predict what waves released by the merging of two black holes would look like. Matzner said during his time working on the project, he did not think the effort would be successful. I said that it couldn't happen, Matzner said. I thought nobody would ever be able to measure these things. No one would be able to retrieve the signal, but LIGO did, and that's amazing. Student government approved a joint resolution Tuesday night to work with the University of Oklahoma in promoting sexual assault awareness before the annual football rivalry game in Dallas this weekend. 
SG will work with the UT Interpersonal Violence Coalition and OU Student Government on Joint Resolution 2 in the next few days to spread information on sexual violence and bystander intervention before the Texas OU game on Saturday. The OU game weekend is a red zone weekend, meaning students are at a higher risk of sexual assault, according to university-wide representative Charlie Bonner. During OU weekend and other large football weekends, we always see a spike in the amount of reports of sexual assault, especially when we're going out of town and on overnight trips, Plan 2 senior Bonner said. There is such a large increase in risk, so we need to be extra vigilant and make sure people have the resources they need. SG expanded an existing sexual assault awareness campaign on October 4th by passing out flyers, speaking to organizations, and promoting a social media campaign in anticipation of the hundreds of students traveling to Dallas this weekend. Resolution co-author Madison Huerta said SG is taking advantage of the excitement surrounding the weekend to discuss issues related to sexual assault and could spread needed awareness to students during a dangerous time. Sexual assault and interpersonal violence happens on campuses all over the country, and whether we want to recognize it or not, it happens on the OU campus and the UT campus, business senior Huerta said. Sexual assault is something that could be 100% prevented. Resolution co-author Ben Solder said, Although sexual violence affects a relatively small portion of the population, it should never be ignored. You can't solve problems unless you're aware of them, neuroscience junior Solder said. The purpose of this resolution is to call attention to the fact that this is still a problem. Bonner said that working with OU might help decrease the instances of sexual assault and ensure that people have the resources they need in case of an incident. There aren't a lot of things we can agree on with OU, but this is definitely one of them, Bonner said. The city of Austin is now looking into ways to waive the requirement for students to have a co-signer for leases when using financial aid to pay for housing. In a resolution passed last week by the city council, the city manager was tasked with finding viable options for assisting students in guaranteeing a lease. The city manager has until January 19, 2018 to report back to the council with their findings. When filling out a housing application, individuals must often either have credit or a guarantor who can co-sign the lease. Guarantors provide the housing authorities a contractual assurance that if the resident cannot pay rent, the guarantor will. Mayor Pro Tem Kathy Tovo, sponsor of the resolution, said students often have not developed credit of their own. Simultaneously, those who are relying on financial aid might lack a parent or other relative who can guarantee their lease, Tovo said. It's an important issue to talk about, Tovo said. There are some students who might have challenges finding an apartment if they have a parent without a credit history or with a credit history that causes issues to that student, yet that student may have financial aid that will more than cover their rent. Students have been a protected class under the city's fair housing laws for years, so Tovo said she's glad they are continuing to make it easier for students to obtain housing in Austin. Mickey Wolf, student body vice president, approached Tovo's office about this resolution in the spring. He said the issue of helping students who lack a guarantor was part of the platform he and student body president Alejandrina Guzman ran on earlier this year. This is something that goes a really long way toward making campus both accessible and more affordable for students, said Wolf, plan to and business honors senior. The resolution also tasks the city manager with working with higher education institutions in the area to develop a tenants' rights education and awareness program for students. 
The Austin Apartment Association, which represents department owners, signed on in support of the resolution prior to its passage. Paul Caduro, Director of Government Relations for the Association, said his organization did not even realize students were facing this issue. We're more than willing to help work with the city on fixing any wrongs that may be occurring, Caduro said. We look forward to delving into a little more about what this is all about. Austin Tenants Council, which focuses on tenants' rights, was excited to hear about this resolution since members have often heard of stories of students facing this issue, said Executive Director Juliana Gonzalez. Gonzalez said that at the same time, she fears the education portion of the resolution will fall into the wayside. We really need to make sure the city manager is accountable for following up on the second part of the resolution, Gonzalez said. I'd be curious to hear, come January 2018, what is the city manager doing to recommend in terms of those tenant education processes for kids, and how are the higher education institutions going to be compelled to participate in those programs? Analysis by the New York Times concludes that representation of black students has barely improved at UT since 1980. Statistics from the analysis, which includes 100 universities, show that the population percentage of white students at UT declined from 87% in 1980 to 44% in 2015, while percentages of Hispanic and Asian students increased by 15% and 23% respectively over that same period. Meanwhile, UT's black population was at 3% in 1980 and has never exceeded 6% in the years since. The fact that the state is 12% African American but only 5% of the population of students are black should be concerning to everyone who believes in justice and fairness, said Richard Reddick, associate professor in educational leadership and policy. Reddick, a UT alumnus, says he sees a lack of representation as an issue faced by all institutions around the country, a statement that seems to align with the study from August, which shows only 12 of the 100 universities studied have had a student body that is at least 10% black. I think that everyone in the state of Texas should be saying, I want all Texans to have access to that same opportunity because it's going to benefit us all, whether it be having more teachers in South Texas or more lawyers from Houston, Reddick said. Topanga Knox, anthropology and black studies junior, said that there's room for UT to improve representation, but there is a community among the small existing black student population. Knox said that there are more than 30 organizations for black students on campus, including the Black Student Alliance. We are a family, said Knox, BSA political action chair. Tap into the community. We are a very open community. I don't want any black students to be afraid to speak to one another. Communication studies sophomore Brianna Smith said the university's implementation of spaces like the Gordon White Building and the Malcolm X Lounge have eased any initial apprehension she had felt about feeling isolated at UT. Smith said for any African-American students on campus who may feel uneasy about being un underrepresented, it's important to remember why they came to UT. There's a reason that you came, and it's not just for affirmative action or for sports, Smith said. You are intelligent. You deserve to be here. Those in need of emergency services can now text 911 instead of dialing in Travis County. The Capital Area Council of Governments launched the new function last Thursday with 31 call centers in Central Texas. The service is now available through Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Sprint. Although the service is readily available, Ann Treffer, Emergency Communication Manager of the UT Police Department, said messaging 911 is only a best effort service. 
Providers cannot guarantee a message will be delivered, Treffer said. If you didn't get a message back from the dispatch center, you have to assume they didn't receive the message, and then either text again or try calling. Communicating an emergency through text might take longer because of certain limitations, Treffer said. You can't send group messages, emojis, pictures, or videos, Treffer said. Also, try to refrain from using slang terms and abbreviations. It's important for students to use regular building names and addresses if possible. Call centers do not automatically receive the cell user's location, Treffer said, and texting through social media apps such as WhatsApp cannot be supported. Remember, it's call 911 if you can, text if you can't, Treffer said. We still want our students to call if possible because texting will take longer. Treffer said the new texting function will benefit many communities, along with being a safety-expanding service. We are very excited to have the capability to help the hearings and speech-impaired community, Treffer said. We think it's a great tool that's available when the caller doesn't want to be heard by an ongoing threat. For example, it could help the caller stay concealed during an active shooter situation. Nursing sophomore Kyle Velonueva said dispatch is critical to getting emergency medical help. Timing is everything for EMTs, Villanueva said. It's important that call centers understand what type of help is needed in order to dispatch the right team. I actually think texting might make it easier for students who have trouble with oral communication, especially under a stressful circumstance. Seven Puerto Rican faculty members sent a letter to President Gregory Finvez asking the university to provide support to universities on the island impacted by Hurricane Maria. The open letter, available on the College of Liberal Arts' website states that the hurricane has tragically plunged the island into a nightmarish, worst-case scenario and encourages UT to mobilize and offer immediate help. The letter said the university could provide donations such as lab equipment and textbooks, as well as allow students at affected universities to take their courses at UT. Cesar Salgado, an associate professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese who signed the letter, said it is important to recognize issues affecting the sizable Puerto Rican community. Acknowledging their plight is something that should be extended to Puerto Ricans as American citizens and as people, said Salgado, a Puerto Rico native. To make any sort of gesture to colleagues or students in the Puerto Rican university system, anything that could be feasible, we encourage that. The letter was sent on September 28th, but the university has yet to openly respond. Media Relations Director J.B. Bird said in an email that the administration is looking for ways to feasibly support Puerto Rican students. There are some constraints on what the university can do unilaterally since its costs like tuition are regulated by rules and state laws, Bird said. What we can say for sure at this point for students impacted by the storm in Puerto Rico, UT will consider academic accommodations for those who seek them. Salgado said when he heard about Maria, he knew it would only worsen damage caused previously by Hurricane Irma. Having a Category 4 hurricane like Maria ravage the island, we knew it would compound complications and it would make the whole infrastructure of the country collapse, Salgado said. We had a foreboding sense that we would be confronting a catastrophe. Salgado said his family on the island has been heavily impacted by Maria's landfall on September 20th. Luis Zayas Dean of the School of Social Work, is one of the seven signers of the letter. Zayas said seeing images of the devastation, including one of his old high school underwater, made him want to give as much material and emotional support as he could. Puerto Rico isn't going to be up and running anytime soon, so there is time for the university to provide some support.
Zayas said. Salgado says he feels the U.S. has been slow to respond to the disaster, and he will continue to advocate for their relief efforts. We will keep Puerto Rico in the headlines so we can make sure Puerto Ricans can get the help they need and that people don't forget, Salgado said. The situation is urgent. For 117 years, other than a brief stretch in the 1920s, the University of Texas Longhorns football team and the Oklahoma University football team have clashed in what is one of college football's biggest rivalries. This weekend, the two teams will make their way down to the Texas State Fair in Dallas for the annual mid-October showdown to see who will get bragging rights for an entire year. While Texas rivalry with A&M might be more personal, the Texas OU rivalry is one of pure hatred, two teams that feel nothing but disgust for one another. For UT students and alumni alike, this game is always the most important of the year, and with the Texas State Fair sitting in the background, it is truly one of the most unique rivalries that college football has to offer. UT alum Rudy Luna summed up the rivalry nicely. It's the best of Texas football. It's my favorite weekend of the year. The Texas OU game is truly the best of Texas football. The rivalry runs so deep that even in years where one team has a clear advantage, the game is still a toss-up. For Texas senior Lawrence Williams, the ability for the two schools to bring out the best in each other is what really makes the rivalry stand out. For me, it's one of the best rivalries in sports. It brings out the best out of both teams, both Texas and OU. You know, OU may not be one of my favorite plays, but they're going to make both teams struggle. It's going to be a fight. When asked about their favorite moments in the rivalry's history, many pointed to a game in which Texas won while they were at the school. For many UT students, this meant the 2015 upset of Oklahoma, where Charlie Strong was carried triumphantly off the field, golden hat sitting securely on his bald head. However, for 1966 graduate Dorothy De La Garza, the result of the game is inconsequential as long as she is able to enjoy the fair afterward. No matter what the outcome, you just go out to state fair and have a good time. That's, that's mm -hmm. our favorite moment, no matter whether we win or lose. And that is what makes the Texas OU rivalry so special. While the hatred displayed on the field is impressive, it is so much more than just a football game. It's a total experience. Traveling to Dallas with a group of friends, enjoying the game, and spending the rest of the day enjoying the state fair and all of the crazy foods and attractions that it has to offer makes OU Weekend one of the best weekends that someone can experience while at the University of Texas. This year, Texas rolls into the Red River Showdown with a 3-2 record facing off against a 4-1 OU team that is currently ranked 11th in the nation. Despite Oklahoma being a 7.5 favorite, Against the Horns, the mood on campus is one of cautious optimism, with many students picking Texas to win in a closely contested battle. While there were other students who refused to get their hopes up after the past eight years of football disappointment, one thing that all students, both optimistic and pessimistic, could agree on is that no matter the outcome of Saturday's football game, OU still sucks. For The Daily Texan, I'm Tucker Reeves. And that's it for this week's edition of the Daily Texan Newscast. In the meantime, there is always more news at DailyTexanOnline.com. You can always follow us on Twitter at The Daily Texan. And this and our other podcasts at Texan Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search for The Daily Texan. And that's it for this week. Be sure to tune in next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Oh, you sucks. <laughs>